Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we are the Judgy Crime Girls, also known as Just Chillin' with the Girls. Hello and welcome. Welcome back. I have been belting it out lately with Isaiah. He's Mm -hmm. been watching Supernatural. That's my show. When we have been driving around or whatever, Mm -hmm. he always wants to listen to the songs and they're so good. Yeah. And a lot of them have Queen in them. Yes. Yeah, a lot of good rock music. I have the playlist on Spotify, Supernatural, all seasons on my Spotify. Love it. I love Queen. Yeah. I love Supernatural. (laughs) I love Isaiah. So it's hard for me. I just, I love him for who he is. I can't get on board with Supernatural. So is it time for snacks and facts? What's our snack today? Facts and snacks corner. We have skinny pop popcorn. Okay. Which is delish. Yeah. I literally bring it with me. It's one of my favorite parts of my day. Mm -hmm. This morning I rolled out of bed and I was like, what can I bring Claudia to make her smile? Popcorn is always good, but I don't know how anybody can eat just a tiny bag like that. I need a bucket. (laughs) A bucket. But you know, funny thing about me is uh, pretty much the only popcorn I will eat is kettle corn. Isn't that super, super sweet? Sweet and salty. Mm. That's the only kind I will eat. Now, have you been to the movies lately? Because they have all kinds of popcorn. Yeah, even like fruit flavored, whatever. Yeah. No, I haven't been to the movie theater okay. in, in a couple years. I feel like you need to experience that. Mm-mm. You're going to branch out you a will not, little bit. No. You, you will, will. No. Do it. <laughs> you will not see me there again, ever. We saw Avatar there in 3D. Uh-huh. Okay. And it was awesome. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Getting back to facts and snacks, yes. <laughs> ghosting. There's two different types of ghosting, <gasps> apparently. What? So there's the type that you do to me when... <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to talk to me. <laughs> but there's also ghosting in the form of identity theft. Mm-hmm. When someone dies and you try to take over someone's identity, straight up they call that ghosting. Really? And the ghoster is roughly the same age that they would have been if the ghost was still alive. So they try to match somewhat Oh, yeah. It makes sense. You would have to. If any documents would make it believable. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I can just see me trying to pretend to be a 21-year-old again. They'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 911? Not, not going to pass. Wow. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. You know what's interesting? What? We had a voicemail on our website. Oh, so fun. You guys. We love getting voicemails. Love them. 
So big shout out and thank you to Jennifer in Sacramento, California. Oh my gosh, I was just tickled to death. Right. And I will be in California Friday morning. I will be in Anaheim. So I would love to see you if you were a little closer to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of a drive. But we were tickled to hear from you and hear that you like the show. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. If you have any feedback for the show or you would like to drop us a voicemail, head over to judgycrimegirls.com and, you know, spread the love. Spread the love. Just say hi. We would love for you to just say hello and where you're listening from. And your favorite snack. That's what we want to know. Yeah. What is your favorite snack? We're all about food and booze. (laughs) (laughs) So what you got for us today? I have the craziest unsolved case. In 1977, Charles Morgan, well, they called him Chuck, was living the best life. And he was happily married. He had two beautiful daughters. And he did very well for himself. He was the president of an escrow company. Oh, wow. Okay. But it would come to an end in one of the most bizarre and unusual unsolved cases that I have ever heard of. Let me put on my couch detective cape. Yes. This case has it all from undercover agents, the mob, and secret messages. (gasps) Let me settle in. Give me that popcorn. (laughs) Here. (laughs) So on March 22nd, 1977, a 39-year-old Chuck Morgan left his home in Tucson, Arizona to drive his two daughters to school and vanished shortly after. And for three whole days, no one knew where Chuck was or what happened to him. He did drop them off, though. They're not vanished. They're not missing. Yeah, the girls were okay. He drops them off at school, and then he just goes missing. Okay. So then on the 25th of March, he surprisingly showed back up at his house. (gasps) His wife, Ruth, woke up to their dog barking and a thud at their back door. And when she opened it, She was shocked to see her husband, who was unable to speak, had a handcuff around one ankle, missing one of his shoes, and had his hands tied together with plastic zip ties. And it was obvious to her that Chuck had just escaped from somewhere he was held against his will. With a pen and paper, he was able to write down that he had been kidnapped and tortured. He couldn't even speak. (gasps) He also wrote that his captors had painted a hallucinogenic drug on his throat and that it would drive him insane or destroy his nervous system and would kill him if he ingested it. No way. Yeah. He was terrified and he asked his wife Ruth to go ahead and move his car because he didn't want them to know that he was there. Chuck would not tell his wife who they were. Ruth wanted to call a doctor and the police, but Chuck persuaded his wife not to call the authorities 
by telling her that if she did, a hit would be put out on the entire family, including their children. Ruth managed to nurse Chuck back to health over the course of a week by feeding him with an eyedropper. Oh, Before he was able to speak again, he began to tell her about his secret identity that she knew nothing about. And he told her that he fought against organized crime and was working for the federal government. He also told her his unnamed kidnappers had stolen his treasury identification. And Ruth was just, you have got to be kidding me. She had never heard anything about this before. Right. Out of the blue, you are working for the government? Right. Do Hmm. I even know you? What is going on? Agents, double life. Chuck said he had been working for them for two to three years and had escaped from his captors near Phoenix's Sky Harbor Airport. And while he was recovering, he became increasingly paranoid. Mm Mm-hmm. He started driving his daughters to and from school every single day and refused that they walk. He also told the school that no one else was allowed to pick them up. He started to wear a bulletproof vest everywhere he went. And on June 7th, 1977, just two months after his initial disappearance, Chuck vanished again. Shortly before his second disappearance... Chuck had told his father that if anything happened to him, there was a letter that he had written that would tell them who was responsible. And nine days later, on June 16th, an unidentified woman called Ruth and said, Ruthie, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastics 12, 1 through 8. Mm -hmm. And hung up. This was a reference to a Bible passage. Mm -hmm. Are you saying what the... Bible verse. Well, set. to summarize, yeah. it's difficult days are coming. <gasps> oh. Two days later, on June 18th, 1977, Chuck was found only 30 feet off the highway in the San Juan Springs area. He had been shot to death, even though he was still wearing his bulletproof vest. <sighs> he was shot in the back of the head with a bullet. From his own 357 Magnum, which was still lying beside him. No fingerprints were found on his gun. Not even his own? No. Hmm. Well, he couldn't have wiped it down. No. Hmm. You're wearing a bulletproof vest. Who shoots themselves in the back of the head? Right. There was gunshot residue on his left hand, indicating that he had recently fired a weapon. Now, this is strange because Chuck was right-handed. And in his car, police found a note that had directions to the crime scene written in his own handwriting. So someone had told him where to go. Mm. The police also found a CB radio, several weapons, and ammunition in Chuck's car. There was also a pair of sunglasses that didn't belong to him. And the strangest thing that the police would find that day was a $2 bill clipped to the inside of his underwear. And written on the bill were seven Spanish names from the letters A through G. So seven Spanish names on this $2 bill. And Ecclesiastics. 12 was also written on the $2 note, 
with verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn on the bill's serial number, exactly the same Bible passage that the female caller had given to Ruth. Mm -hmm. The meaning of the Bible verse to Chuck is unknown, and to this day, no one knows what its significance was for. On the back of the $2 bill, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were numbered 1 through 7. There was also a crude map drawn that showed several roads between Tucson and the Mexican border. Two towns were marked on the map, Robles Junction and Sassabee. <laughs> Sassabee. Sassabee. Huh. Never okay. heard of it. Well, these towns are known for smuggling. Two days after Chuck's death, an anonymous woman called into the Prima County Sheriff's Department and spoke to an on-duty officer. The woman claimed that Chuck was supposed to meet her at a motel shortly before his death. And she said that her nickname was Green Eyes and that she was the same woman that had called Ruth several days earlier. She also went on to say that at the motel, Chuck showed her a briefcase containing several thousand dollars in cash. And according to Green Eyes, Chuck said that the money would buy him out of a gang contract that had been put on his life. So despite the evidence, Chuck's death was ruled a suicide by the authorities. No. Yeah. How? I don't know. According to them... He took his own life either because of financial difficulties or because of his paranoia, which made him fear for his safety constantly. His family and a reporter named Don Devereaux believe he was murdered. And some police investigators also suspect that the death was not a suicide. To make this case even more suspicious, shortly after his death, his impounded car was broken into while it was in police possession. Around the same time, his office was also ransacked. About three weeks after his death, two men who claimed to be FBI agents arrived at his home. They showed their identification briefly and told Ruth that they had to look through the house and continue to tear the house apart and search. They never told Ruth what they were looking for. Don said that when he made a Freedom of Information Act request to the FBI, they had never even heard of Mr. Morgan, despite the fact that they obviously opened an investigation, and despite the fact that the FBI interviewed Mr. Morgan's attorney. I think maybe it was a clever cover-up. Yeah. These two, were they from the FBI? I don't think so. Hmm. During the 1970s, several cities in Arizona, Tucson included, became a place that the mafia was heavy. Arizona had a unique state law that allowed crime to buy land through blind trust accounts. And this allowed criminals to remain anonymous. And oh, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. They were able to launder their money easily without detection. Led by former New York Don Joseph Bonanno, more than 500 racketeers moved to Tucson during the 1970s. Their presence and influence led to multiple gangland-style murders in the area. 
And Chuck was working with at least one mafia family, closed out. Mm -hmm. So the mafia family might have used Chuck to do escrow work for purchasing gold and platinum. This was an easier and more convenient way to launder money. And starting in 1973, it looks like he was doing several million dollars of escrow work in the gold and platinum market. All these transactions were fraudulent. Chuck told Ruth that money laundering was taking place in Tucson, but that he wasn't involved. He also told her that the less she and the children knew about what he was doing, the better that it would be for them. Mm -hmm. And one of the leading theories in the strange death is that organized crime bosses put a hit out on him. Mm -hmm. And the would-be hitman contacted Chuck and told him about the hit. And he tried to get the same amount as the bounty on him to pay off the hitman and buy back his life. And according to this theory, Chuck was killed when they met up in the desert. So Chuck was a secret witness in an extensive land fraud investigation, and he was interviewed in May of 1977, only a few weeks before his death. It is not known if this played a factor in his death. He was seen at several restaurants and motels in the western side of Tucson after his disappearance and before his death. Chuck Morgan's case aired on Unsolved Mysteries, mm, okay. and numerous calls relating to his death came in out shortly after it aired. Chuck apparently received large sums of money from this, and some of this money allegedly came from Southeast Asia. And it was also discovered that he had kept duplicate records of all of the transactions. And this would have made Chuck a target um, and made him look like a snitch because he had mm -hmm. copies of all these things. Mm -hmm. So Don believes that Chuck was killed because he had those. It's funny because it's all electronic now. Yeah. But... I My guess is that is why his office was ransacked. Yeah. They were looking for those copies. Another strange and bizarre thing that happens in this case is that three months after the Chuck Morgan episode aired, Doug Johnston was shot dead in his car outside of his office in Phoenix. No. And, okay, so he worked across the street from Don Devereaux's office and drove an almost identical car as him. And Don believes that he was the intended victim instead of Doug. So a year after the death of Doug, Don was contacted by a writer from D.C. And Don agreed to share all the information that he had uncovered about Chuck's illegal gold transactions. Before the two of them could ever meet... Danny would be found dead from an apparent suicide. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he was notoriously squeamish, but he was found dead with deep cut wounds in his arms. Oh, yeah. That he probably did him to himself. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. So that is the story of... 
Chuck Morgan. I, I had just never heard of someone completely vanishing, going missing for three days out of the blue, mm-hmm. showing back up tortured. Yeah. And I think he didn't want the police called because... He was doing illegal things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is my guess. He was into something. He he never worked for the government. But it is easy to say, I work for the government and I can't talk about it because people, especially back then, were like, oh, yeah, it's all hush hush, top secret. So they won't ask any questions. It's easier to say you work for the government and you have to just kind of be secretive about it. But I think he was into something he wasn't supposed to, obviously. Mm. And um, maybe he skimmed off a little bit more off the top and they found out about it. Or he mentioned, well, if anything ever happens to me, I got copies of this. And or, you know, whatever. But he told somebody that he had copies of all those transactions. Yeah, the $2 bill yeah. is so weird. The phone call um, from Green Eyes. I'm like, what is going on? The Bible verse. Well, Green Eyes, I all I can think about is I can't. It's the mafia because... Well, because they call Frank Sinatra Blue Eyes. Yeah. Frankie Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought this case was different. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many ways that can go, really. Like, I, I, I mean, what happened to him or, or why it happened to him? Yeah, and... Just very interesting that they for sure ruled it a suicide. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. Weird. So weird. I'm sure there are probably a lot of theories out there, I wonder. Wow, interesting. I'm gonna go home and solve this for you. Thank you, Claudia. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure a lot of people, not a lot of people have heard of it. I never heard of it before. And uh, this just will put his name out there. Yeah, Charles Morgan is his name, but he went by Chuck. He has a lot in common with us. He's like a secret agent and no one knows. Yeah, except I tell everybody I am. (laughs) Know what I tell people? I am a couch detective, an armchair detective. That's my title. That's what I want. Too bad you got a Betty White car decal. That's all you get. Yay. Yay. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. You're welcome. Hey, if you are not following us yet on our social medias, please do so. You can find us on Facebook and the Instagram Uh, give us a follow, give us a like, give us a shout out. Yes. And if you are joining us at the live show, we cannot wait Saturday, April 1st at the Bell Mansion. Which is haunted. It's going to be a good time. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yes, the Bell Mansion. You will find uh, the link to buy tickets on our website, judgycrimegirls.com. 
if you haven't bought tickets, I think it's time you need to go to the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Don't wait too long because seating is limited. We do have limited seating. Sadly, the room is only so big, but it's going to be a good time. It's going to be so cool. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. That's all we've got for this week, you guys. Thank you for joining us. Stay sassy. Stay judgy. And stay tuned in with the Judgy Crime Girls every Wednesday. Hashtag just chilling with the girls. Hell yeah. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. JGC. No. JC. <laughs> Definitely cut that out. Body, like as if they're them. Let me say that again. Their that identity. didn't even sound okay. right. And then there's Okay, the- Ed Gein. <laughs> Shut up. Ooh, are you okay? Yeah. You just hit that. Mm-mm-mm.